0: The mafia got that event kicked off of their television provider. Not a peep out of the largest mixed martial arts websites in the world.
1: Joining me today is Todd Atkins, Mike Davis, and Miguel Iterate to discuss the match. 2022, tension Nazikawa versus Takaru Tikara- versus Sigawe. Tough names to pronounce. Um, and I want to touch a little bit upon the specifically like the lack of attention it received on this side of the world, especially. And, uh, you know, before we start, you know, we had Todd on the show already, um, he called in one time we broke down uh, UFC pay-per-view so people kind of know his background a little bit, uh, but I want to get a chance to uh, let you guys introduce yourself, Mike and Miguel, if you can.
0: All right, so Miguel, I'll start first. My name is Mike Davis. Uh, currently, I work with Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro here in the United States. I am a 20-year promoter. I also work with Ignite Fights and I've been to about a, about a dozen countries due to the sport of mixed martial arts you go
2: hey uh thanks for having me on i you know i i do the lights out podcast right now it's a history podcast i i like it because i think at this point i'm getting old and history is my thing i've been doing mma since 97 and i popped up everywhere i could for you know about a dozen years so hopefully you know the lights out podcast is where you know people can see me shine
0: now and, and- that's spelled L-Y-T-E-S, Chris Lytle. It's myself, Miguel, and Chris Lytle. So we spelled L-Y-T-E-S. We usually do one long-form interview a week and, you know, three or four short segments as
1: well. Yeah, and one thing I really enjoy with you guys is the, um, the MMA Conspiracy Hour. I think that's a fun show, and uh, I've been enjoying that one. So <laughs> let's get started. Um, I'm really excited to get into this topic, um, and I think a lot of the fans are too. So I want to start off right out with saying, Were you expecting this lack of attention for a fight of this massive scale, at least in North America? All right. So
0: three things. One, a lot of the, I mean, we'll start hot. The UFC media, all of them receive talking points. Most of them are completely oblivious to the sport outside of the UFC and what they've studied for at that event. And three It's a kickboxing bout. However, there are certain crossover matches in the combat sports world that tend to bleed over into the mixed martial arts portion of, you know, just the media. This one hundred percent would have qualified for that. Uh,
2: To answer your original question, no, I'm really actually not surprised. I, I think that this was, you know, when. I, you know, I haven't been to Japan in, in a decade, but when I, Todd told me that this was the biggest match ever, basically, I really didn't, I, I really was like, yeah, right. You know, I really didn't even believe it until, you know, we talked to Ensign Inouye, we talked to a couple of people, and apparently it was. And I just, I knew that it wasn't getting play in the media. That didn't affect me, though. But I do think the fact that it's kickboxing, kickboxing has never been a frontline sport in the United States, and the fact that it's lightweights, like really smaller weights, um, is unappealing to the American audience. And whether you like it or not, that's the case. Uh, You know, I I had a conversation, Mike and I had a conversation with Montel Griffin, a a former world champion boxer guy, beat Roy Jones in his heyday. And uh, we were talking about who's going to be the number one pound for pound guy after Mayweather. And, you know, Latino Gonzalez, for those that know, you know, maybe some boxing, Roman Gonzalez out of Nicaragua earned that spot. He was 45 and 0 and undefeated and stuff like that. And Montel, as a peer, loved him, said he's very technical, but he said he couldn't take him into account for pound for pound or anything like that because it's just the lower weights. And it's, I think that, that that comes up with the American audience. It's hard to market when the fighters are
0: smaller than the models. Okay, so so Miguel, you're 100 correct, and I had said certain subjects flow into the mixed martial arts, like space. So let's just pretend this one doesn't fall into that quarter, into that category, which it should. The drama and controversy surrounding it, in regards to, you know, the the mafia and Sakikibara, uh, Sakikibara involvement and. And just the kind of just crossing of those two, finally coming to a head, that never got picked up either. Like, let's just pretend, all right, tension fight doesn't. That topic absolutely should have.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Um, I'm surprised because of the magnitude of it. I thought for sure they would bring up. Look at this compare. This is going to do a bigger gate than any UFC event has. But part of me, I was thinking in the car. Something I know, Mike, you brought up a few points, but one I was thinking of is the Japanese um, MMA scene. They aren't catering to guys who are kind of popular in the MMA media here. They used to have. They used to do some of that. They would bring guys in you know, back in the pride days, they bring some guys from like MMA weekly or they aren't bringing in Errol, Juani, Luke Thomas, any of these people. And I think maybe some of their egos like, well, if they're not going to bring us in to cover it, we're not going to talk about it either. You know, that's something I, I kind of was thinking about in the car, you know, because well, well, they know what's happening. They have to know.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, what's well, that? You had just said the promotion never flies in media the media gets there on their own accord. Now, whether their promotion purchases some sort of ad, you know, some sort of ads or some, you know, revenue in regards to supporting them that way, that's that's different. But Ariel Helwani, when uh, the UFC first went to Abu Dhabi for the first time, Ariel Helwani was flown out and put up in a hotel by the UFC. At that point, you being some sort of independent journalist gets put by the wayside you're not you're no longer that but for chris thomas he's somebody that's been around the sport for a while i don't know i mean i know he does multi-level marketing i know he likes to kind of sucker people into that type of stuff you know maybe he was busy selling pills to throw in a gas gas
1: tank i don't know i would even double down and saying that i wouldn't even say that there was a lack of you know, media towards this, especially here in the North American side, I would say it was just completely non-existent because you look online, you can't find anything. There's nobody really that you could figure out, you know, no big MMA media that people are watching to cover big UFC events. Nobody talked about it. So I would agree with that.
0: Marcos, the mafia got that event kicked off of their television provider. Not a peep. Out of the largest mixed martial arts websites in the world now i mean here i mean you, me todd miguel we do something once a week called the mma conspiracy hour whenever something kind of crazy comes up so here let's put a little mma conspiracy kind of curve ball onto this Saki kibara comes into the united states to meet with floyd mayweather pre-covid so, Uh, Floyd Mayweather invites Dana White over to his house to kind of submarine Saki Kibara, and they actually hit it off and went out to lunch, possibly setting up a business deal in the future. COVID kind of took that by the wayside, but those two got together and there was a mutual respect there. Now, we had all heard that when the Pride sold the UFC, sold itself to the UFC, it was in such shambles in regards to contracts that it was kind of, kind of looked at as a bank heist based on the Japanese end of it, and the UFC kind of got in the short end of the spectrum. Who knows what took place at that lunch meeting, but did Dana kill the negative press about Saki Kibara for potential, you potential know, meeting in the future? I don't know.
1: Yeah. So where did all this attention draw? Because, you know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I read something along the lines of 500,000 pay-per-view buys, which is pretty significant. Like that's a lot considering, you know, the lack of attention it got around here. Is all that coming just from Japan? Is it coming from like neighboring countries in Asia? Is it coming from a lot of Asia?
3: It's Japan. And for for Japan, 500,000 is a massive number. (laughs) Massive because there is no pay-per-view in Japan. So, it was a huge number for them. How many people were in attendance, Todd? Uh, I think it was uh, just over 60,000. That's insane.
0: Yeah, that's wild. You know,
2: I think... The same thing, you know, it's the, I think the American audience is, is programmed away from kickboxing. I think it's something that's just really not a frontline sport in consideration. So this is every bit as big as it was in Japan. You know, I, I was definitely was wrong in, in in missing that point. But I don't think that, you know, we're talking about the media covering it. Why, If, if it's not going to be shown on any television in the States or anywhere, why would they cover it? Why would they even care, you know? And that's the thing is, is was there even an attempt to put it on, or any, you know, even internet pay-per-views?
0: Well, well, Miguel-
2: The big channels are thinking about that. And
0: so- Came together within the week of the event, within 10 days of the event. You know, this was not going to be a pay-per-view event offered to other parts of the world. And that, I mean, that was kind of like a shoestring deal held last minute, so. I don't know. Maybe just their initial setup of it didn't allow it to grow. But when you're MMA media, that's your job. You're supposed to. I mean, Marcos, why didn't you cover it?
1: To be honest, I've been so like deep into like the world of like UFC, Bellator, one that I haven't really even taken the time to honestly. Yeah. More so MMA, but I'd say I would agree with what Miguel said. Maybe it's the whole kickboxing thing, because I think if it was maybe a mixed martial arts bat, it would have drawn a little bit more attention for some mixed martial arts fans, at least some, right? Something,
3: but I don't know. They didn't make any effort for people to see it outside of Japan. You basically had to have like a Japanese credit card to order it. You couldn't order it outside of Japan. So the number, like I said before, Japan is not a paper per view market free tv is the market pay-per-view is minuscule so i've to get five hundred thousand, that's like two three million you know in the u.s comparative because no one orders stuff on pay-per-view really a bim is pretty small as a pay-per-view uh, provider so this was kind of an experiment and now ryzen going to be going to their ryzen stream pass thing which is going to be another thing kind of like you're not going to do it like UFC fight pass where you pay a monthly subscription. You can just get all these different events. It's going to be strictly pay-per-view. You pay for the event. You watch the event. And that's it. Next one, same thing. Next one, same thing. So it's going to be different. But uh, it, so Ry- it'll be interesting Ryzen- to see how that flies.
0: So Ryzen is actually going over to a pay-per-view format
3: after this? They're they're launching a stream pass, just like USC said. Originally, they called it Ryzen Fight Pass. They had to change the. Then, I wonder that shows if this you how much to thought to, they put into this.
0: I wonder if this has to do with um, you know, all the mafia implications that Saki Kibara has kind of been besieged with for a second time. Miguel?
2: You know, I, I, I harken, I'm I going to just harp on the same point, but I harken back to the heyday of K-1. K-1, a big mafia that had, you know, Ernesto Hoost, Andy Hoog, you know, it had a whole worldwide uh, roster of legitimate guys, 80% knockout rate on most of their events and stuff like that. If that didn't get over in the United States, I don't know, you know, I think what Todd said is the point too that they didn't even plan this event for, if this is a Japanese only event that, you know, with the implications in the country, the good guy versus bad guy image and stuff like that, that's what got people there to care and they didn't care what the united states thinks, but this was this would have been the wrong event to market in the states especially when it turned out to be a three round exhibition it, it would have it would have actually been a, a d- damaging to kickboxing and they don't need that right now <laughs>
1: Yeah, and do you guys think that that could be sort of what Todd just touched on, like maybe sort of a remodeling of how fans ingest the, uh, you know, the, the the content, right? How do you think that that could? Do you think that that could be a big change, you know, maybe changing the pay per view format, things like that?
3: Let's we'll start Go with Todd. Now. Let's
1: start with Todd on that one since he sort of talked about it a little bit.
3: Well, this is something that I've been talking to Zach about, and he was kind of, you know, my friend Zach or Scott, you know, he trains a. He lives in Japan. He trains in Japanese gyms. He's a translator, so he speaks Japanese. And uh, his impression, I mean, from what he was talking to me the other day, is uh, Ryzen really doesn't have any, seem to have any interest in the U.S. market at all right now. In fact, they're, they're really not, even though they're starting to open up a little bit in Japan, they don't really have any interest in bringing in foreign athletes. They're going to, you know, for the time being, keep it mostly uh, Japanese fighters fighting each other for the time being, uh, as to where, you know, when the pride was in its heyday, even, even shooto for that matter, a lot of those cards, they had foreigners on the cards, but, uh, uh, Ryzen doesn't seem interested in really making a push for that at the moment.
1: Can you break down sort of like what it's like to get the tickets for a fight like this? Cause that's something that I was watching. I think it was Todd's show. And I think that's really interesting. And it sort of speaks to how big this event was and what people missed out on. Like, what was that whole process? Like, like sort of like, what were the ticket prices and what was it like to have to get the ticket?
3: Uh, The cheapest ticket was $300. Um, The most expensive was 30,000. Which was ringside, obviously. Uh, Zach went to the event. Obviously he got the 300 R2. He actually got two of them. I think somebody he was able to get them. Um, But Like I was saying, when I went to Pride events and I went to the biggest ones, um, I bought tickets to those at like Yokohama train station. You know, you just go in there and there's a spot there where you could buy them. And uh, for this event, you had to win a lottery just to have the opportunity to buy a ticket. So it was another level. You couldn't just go somewhere and buy tickets.
2: I just am of the opinion that pay-per-view in general is kind of a thing of the past, you know? Um, so I don't know, this is, this sort of is like a personal ticket or, you know, maybe it's just the re yes, it's definitely paying for for the view. You know what I mean? But I don't know if it needs some type of remarketing or rehashing because pay-per-view really does reek of the past. I think, you know, the UFC used to model their contracts with the pay-per-view buys. And then there were so many non-pay-per-view events, pay-per-view is losing its influence. It's lost its influence in boxing only at the upper highest, highest levels, but, You know, so I'm not overall sure if if this is the thing that's going to save kickboxing or, you know, make kickboxing become a major, you know, crossover into into the media stuff. So, you know, you can take it with a grain of salt, but I'm not I'm not sold that pay-per-view is the future. I think it's the past.
1: Yeah, do you think there's a page maybe they could take out of, uh, let's say, Pride's book, right? It was a Japanese promotion but it was able to you know, sort of reel in some of the American fan base, right? Mike, do you, what do you think about that?
0: I think, I, I, I think the only thing that drew the Americans to Pride were the freak show fights. It's the very thing that everybody likes to poke fun of and make fun of right now. But the circus big top that Pride was was due to the fact that they had Bob Sapp on it and, and Crazy Horse Charles Bennett. And, and even Rampage fell into that category. And those guys are, 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 are the sweat that, that Pride was built on. And it also allowed them to highlight the other fighters like Mirko Prokop, Fedor Milianko, like when those two met. And, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, you're talking about two things, but Pride, I, I mean, if, if you're going to build like Pride, you're going to have to have freak show fights and have a good stable of fighters to kind of you know lay the foundation of the house. But in terms of pay-per-view models, I think bare knuckle boxing is kind of leading the combat sports in regards to it. Nobody's pirating bare knuckle boxing because it's five bucks a month and it's a reoccurring thing, a thing that happens. And I think David Feldman is um, really putting a foot forward and showing the old guard on how to properly market your event.
1: Todd, what about you? Because you said that you were, you know, you were there, you were close to it, right? You purchased, you know, pride tickets at the train station. Do you think there's anything they could take out of pride's book? Or do you like, what do you think about that? Was there something that pride was doing specifically in your opinion um, that
3: they, that they were able to lure those
1: American fans in?
3: I think at the time you really just had UFC and pride as major events. You didn't have things like Bellator and PFL. You had some you had IFL come along. Remember that? International Fight League, guys. You remember that? Um, but you had some smaller events. And it was kind of like a tit for tat. You know, they were kind of like, oh, we signed this guy. UFC signed that guy. Um, so I think there was some of that that attracted American fans. Like, who's probably going to get next? Or um, what are they going to announce next kind of thing? Um, so you had this a promotion the UFC that was kind of on the rise And then you had pride that was, had the best fighters in the world for the most part. So there was a little bit of a competition there. Some of the guys wanted to be in the UFC. Um, You know, a lot of these guys like Monty Cox's fighters and Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, you had, you had guys that were well-respected, but pride was where it was at as far as the best fighters in the world. So I think that's what attracted the the American fans the most.
1: Todd, I want to ask you also, because you said, I saw in one of your videos that you said that, um, that the fans almost support these big fights in Japan more than they do like in the United States, right? What do you mean by that? Like, are they like more passionate about it? Are they like buzzing about it? Like way long, like months prior to the fight?
3: Well, I think had this one not been pulled from TV, you would have saw more of that. But what I meant by that is... uh, when fighters come to Japan and Mike and Miguel know this, they're very, they're treated very well by the fans and usually by the promotions as well on a different level than the UFC per se. Um, especially like pride and things like that. The fans are just rabid. Um, now there are some smaller events where the fans are more hardcore and they may not react the same, you know, especially events like Karakwan hall, but the pride events, the fans swarm the fighters and, uh, yeah, it was just a. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. The fans supported it. When you have a big event like this, I said by attendance too, right? They sold out this event, so that's another thing I'm talking about. The fan when they put this event on, the fans showed up. They bought out all the tickets, price be damned. You know they got them, and uh, so yeah, that was that's another thing that I, I thought as far as support goes. I guess
1: Miguel will start with you. Do you think? what do you think that, I guess, what took so long about it? What do you think that was the holdup for a fight like that? Do you think, is it is it a money thing? Is it, I don't know. Because I'm not from, you know, because is, this isn't something that I'm into too much in terms of like the kick. It's not that I'm into, I love watching it. Like I was really into the fight, but being so into the MMA space, I kind of wonder about things like this, looking from the outside in, you know?
2: You know, I think as... That there's definitely a cultural way to look at this. And I think that Japan's culture is different than ours. You know, I think at the highest level, you know, we've seen it happen in boxing where, you know, Showtime and HBO will never work together and that sort of stuff. And, you know, eventually people start to work together, the bigger things get when everybody brings something to the table. I think those types of things, that's the way the American system works and what we're used to looking at there. I think, you know, having the power to say no gives you a lot of power. And over there, that could play into it. It's egos and things like that. So I don't know if it could have happened, but I've heard things like it should have happened five years ago or things like that along the lines right. of that. And um, you know, at some point the fighters also start to run out of opponents, they start to run out of options. It's always hard to take a step back and make less money for your next fight, you know, than you made the last time. So once you get to the upper echelon, like these guys are in their sports. You know they're also looking for the payday, so so at that point, it takes like a normal fight. But the Japanese politics, I could see them not overcoming certain things, like they, I, you know, this may never have happened. They probably let matches like this go by. I that would be my estimation because uh, it, it was special for that reason, I think.
1: Yeah, Mike, what do you think about this? Is do you have in your opinion, is there a specific reason why this fight took so long to come together?
0: Uh, well, they, they were you know, champions on two rival promotions and they had to have a third promotion to bring both of them together. And I mean, if you think about it, think about like Bellator's biggest champion and UFC's biggest champion and having them fight on an independent circuit, like there's a lot of moving parts there. And there's a lot of egos and there's someone's feelings are going to get hurt, whoever loses, you know, maybe their brand is damaged. So, I mean, there's... I mean, that's, that's for this fight to even like take place. To be honest with you, whether it took so long, obviously you're correct because it took several years to take place. But the mere fact that it did happen and that a roundtable discussion was able to come up with, you know, both sides being happy, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I think that's something that only could be done in a country like Japan.
1: And what was that promotion that they found, like that level uh, playing field on, if you will? They, they just formed
0: it. They formed a, a separate promotion together.
1: And so that's part of the reason, I guess, why it took so long, yeah. right? Was to just find that common ground between the two promotions where they would fight and all that stuff. Yeah, I,
0: I think it's that common ground it took several years to get there, and they were right. both at wit's end. You know, the Japanese are, you know, very strong-willed people as well as you know they're they have an ego there and. You know, the, the public pressure and, and you know, with 500,000 pay per views, Todd, you're saying it's huge. If this was on like, Fuji TV, it probably would have been about three or four times that in regards to, uh, you know, eyes being on it.
2: And yeah, food. Probably more than that. The incident. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. You know, grandmothers watching, it, you know, grandmas at home were interested in seeing the fight. So, yeah, I think really fast, I think what's missing is. Uh, Japanese athletes like uh, that we had 20 years ago. Even, you know, like uh, in Pancrase, they had guys that were able to go to UFC. In Pride, they had Sakuraba, who was the superstar there. And again, you're talking about guys that if you're going to compete and bring in world-level opponents, basically have to be heavyweights, have to be big guys. And that is what's absent in the Japanese market. They haven't built a new guy. You know, it's not like they're, you know, those schools... Didn't seem to continue and 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 breathe those stars, and I think that's what's going to take to bring them back into that is somebody who catches a natural interest over there, like a Sakuraba, but turns out to be able to compete on the world level, you know, in in MMA. The tension crossover to MMA, da da da. Too small, he wouldn't be a world level star.
1: Let's uh keep going here, so. What I want to ask is, in hindsight, I want to ask both you guys, do you think that this fight lived up to the hype? Was it more than what you expected? Was it less? Obviously not around here in the United States, but in that area, in Japan, at the very core, do you think that it lived up? Because it seems like it was a mega, super fight.
3: Todd? Uh, I want to say yes and no. Had the event been on Fuji where you had... You know, over eighty percent of the households in Japan watching it, like Kid Yamamoto versus Masato. Um, then it would have lived up to the hype. As now, as far as the event, I mean, don't get me wrong, the Tokyo Dome was packed; it was big. But had it been on Fuji TV, it would have been much bigger in terms. Like, <clears throat> for example, Zach was telling me, you really didn't see a lot of posters around or stuff on the trains or. Anything like that, even though the event was sold out, you weren't really seeing that push because of the scandal, the scandal beforehand. Because of that, it wasn't as big as it should have been, in my opinion, but it was still huge. But it would have been much bigger had it been on Fuji TV, on national TV. It would have been much bigger. Everyone would have watched it. You know, people who have no interest in fighting, just like Kid versus Masato. Um, All kinds of people would have been watching that had no interest in in fighting. And that's when it would have been as big as it should have been.
1: What exactly is that? Like, is that because you said that it was something that it would have been a lot better had it been on Fuji TV, right? There would have been more viewership, perhaps. What Before I get to you, Miguel, what exactly is Fuji TV for the people that don't know? Is it like a a big streaming platform for sports in Asia or?
3: Fuji TV is kind of like where, you know, how we have ABC, NBC, CBS. Yeah. Japan has like three channels also. And Fuji TV is one of them. And uh, so it's basically every household in Japan has it. And national TV is much bigger than pay-per-view in Japan. Streaming isn't even a thing. You know, people turn on their TV and you have your channels. You know what I mean? Buying extra channels and having a cable package and all, that's not common in Japan.
1: And Miguel, what do you think? uh, Getting back to that, did the fight live up to you looking back in hindsight?
2: You know, like I said, you asked that, let's just be thankful they didn't present that to the American audience because it was you know, short. It really wasn't explosive as, as a fight and stuff like that. So but for Japan, I think it had a lot of drama. And um, I think, you know, the possibility of a rematch could potentially be there. I think, you know, it, it, I just don't know. You know, again, it's kickboxing. So it's the kind of thing that's not my, my wheelhouse and stuff. But this, this aspect, this fight had the good guy versus bad guy kind of like images between the guys and things like that. And, you know, if it could be recycled, they probably will a few years down the line. The guys are young enough. I think it probably do it. But, you know, the sequel usually makes less money, you know, so I think we've seen the heyday of the fight. I think it is what it is. Uh, it, it would be best served as a standalone, even for the Japanese audience, I think.
3: Well, I think it could be recycled, but not as the same fight. What's going to happen is tension is going to boxing now. He's going to start a boxing career. They already have Inoue, who's one of the best fighters in the world in Japan. And so I think they could have kind of like tension fighting on his undercards. You know, that would already be huge. A lot of people would come just to see that, just to see them both fight on the same card. Um, Not necessarily have to fight each other, but maybe someday that could happen. And that would be a massive fight, obviously. They're close the same way. So I think Inoue is 125 and tension's right around that 135 or something. So they could concede, but Inoue is super experienced. You know, he's one of the best boxers in the world. Um, I don't know if that would ever take place, but tension coming up as a boxer, that's something a lot of people would come to see just because he's on the card with Inoue.
1: Takaru retired as well after the fight, didn't he? So, I mean, or, or is it that he just retired from kickboxing?
3: He says he wants to go to MMA. I've talked about this a little bit on our show. This is something that Pride used to do, which I just talked about. The punch, you know, like the big punch that they would land in between events was all, all almost as fun to watch as the event itself. What are they going to do next? If they could get, you just lost attention, he's going to boxing. That's, he is, that's just all there is to it. If they could get Takaro away from K1 somehow, Ryzen, that would be the punch, you know, like the Pride used to do. You know, like when they signed Marilla Bustamani away from the UFC, Marilla was champion at the time. You know, Pride used to do some crazy stuff as far as signings went. Or they bring in some guy who had a huge reputation. Somehow the UFC didn't get him. Pride did, you know. That's something I think would, cause you got to capitalize on this. You just had this big event. If you don't capitalize on something, if you don't hit some sort of home run within the months after that's not good. You need another, well, you have all these eyes on, you need some kind of, you know,
1: I think I'll start with Miguel on this one. Um, what do you think? Do you think, a, is there ever a fight that came close to you for this fight in like the history of Japan? Was there ever a fight that, even approximated this one? Because this is known as the greatest fight of the century. People have deemed it that. What to you comes close to that one?
2: You know, if, if not had, better,
1: here, if not better.
2: You, you know, the heyday of of, of of the MMA and Pride shows, and, and I don't even know, it, it, I think it may have had a different name, but the 2004 New Year's Day events in Japan, I, I believe that was... Fedor, Noguera, uh, you know, that level of main event, Ensign uh, you know, I'm going to look them up so that I don't fumble around too much in front of you guys here. While, but while I do that, that, that event at the same time was um, going on in New Year's, was going head-to-head with K1 presenting what Todd called the previous biggest fight, which was Kid Yamamoto and Masato. So if you look at like topping that day, that day, I don't think that there was, you know, as I understand New Year's in Japan, again, these TV stations, the three terrestrial channels, as they call them, um, dominate. And one of them has like a variety show everyone watches where everybody's like doing, you know, whatever, you know, type of variety, you know, music presentations or whatever. And then there's the fighting shows and they split the audience basically. And when certain fights happen, The fight pulls away, you know, the audience there. And you're talking about the entire country, a population of 150 million people. So not to correct Mike, but when he goes, you know, three, four times the 500,000, you know, it's probably more along the lines of 30 to 40 times that amount would have seen the fight. So um, that part, I don't think that they're going to have a hard time matching, but for pure pomp and spectacle and, you know, the card, the entire card, like who else fought on the, on this tension card? You know, like, like that's like the, for the sheer spectacle, New Year's 2004.
1: What about
3: you, Todd? Oh, for me, it was Yogi Stadium 2002. You know, uh, Japan, when I got there, the World Cup was in Japan. The night I landed, they beat Russia. Um, first game they've ever won in the World Cup. And wow. Japan the promoters kind of capitalized on that. They called, you know, they had this event at Yoyogi stadium. I don't know if you've seen it, if you haven't, I'll send you uh, some footage of it, but uh, it was at Yoyogi national stadium. So there was like 90,000, I think 91,000 people. And uh, that's where uh, Bob sat, fought Noguera. Yeah. Crocat fought Sagarapa. that, yeah, they had some, you know, was, uh, Don Frye fought Jerome banner. They kind of had a K-1 versus pride sort of thing going, but it was an outdoor show. They called it kind of their uh, fighting World Cup. So it was, you know, they had all that spirit going on at the time. It was like what just happened. You know, they had this massive event. People turned out for it. Um, And that's something that that only the Japanese can do. I don't think the U.S. can do it right now. But uh, when the Japanese wants to do it, and not just that you you watched the match you saw all the the spectacle of it you saw all the you know the video and everything it was next level compared to what the ufc does you know it was yeah just totally another level and that's something that japan can do that other people can't do
2: for the data people out there so december 2004 k1 premium dynamite Obviously, that card was, uh, you know, topped by uh, the uh, aforementioned uh, match between, by um, Jaiju. Uh, I'm missing the Japanese guys' names.
3: Are you I'm talking about fight. Masato and Kid?
2: Yeah, was that Masato? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Masato, Kid Yamamoto.
3: Obviously, yeah, that was huge. Don't get me wrong. It I was. It. That was big, yeah.
2: <clears throat> so, that Masato, Kid Yamamoto, that was the fight, you know, the headline in the K1 of it. That's the showstopper that the entire country watched. You know, that card also had Akibono versus Hoist Gracie. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, like, you're talking about they threw everything they could at that card. Now, running at the same time, you had Dan Henderson versus Yuki Kondo. Or Miracle Kokop versus Kevin Randall in the rematch. Rulon Gardner versus Yoshida. Yoshida, there's one of your Japanese stars. And Noguerin and Fedor you know, at the pride shockwave event. So look at the magnitude of those two events in that day and what, you know, as MMA fans, we have to look back at and I don't, you know, to, to me I, I think it doesn't match up.
3: Well, the other thing like Fuji TV before this whole scandal happened, they were planning like a four hour pre-show and just showing this fight. You know what I'm saying? a four hour pre-show for just this fight on national TV with all kinds of interviews backstage, you know, the lead up to, which they did some of that with kid kid and Masato. Cause I watched that fight. You know, they had him come off the bus. They had him in the locker rooms. They were filming all that stuff the whole time. You know, people were talking about it, you know, on TV. Um, so they were going to do that. They were going to have like a four hour special and then air this fight. So that's what I'm saying when it couldn't be as big as it could have been, where everyone was watching it. And maybe it would have catapulted some of the Japanese scene again because it's not where it was before. It's just not, um, a lot of people don't think it'll ever get there again. You know, so it's, that's kind of what I'm talking about when I say, is it as big as it could have been? Yeah.
1: So speaking of big fights, right? Is it too early to maybe think of what could be next in terms of mega fights in Japan? Is there one that comes to any to any of your guys' minds in terms of what could even match that? I mean, it doesn't have to match it, but is there something that could even come close to making such a mega fight like that? That because I think that the the match twenty twenty two sold like about or did over like twenty five million in revenue or something like that, if I'm not mistaken, which is incredible.
3: Is there anything like that that could be close soon? Todd? Uh, not without those two guys involved. I mean, I don't think MMA wise, they have anyone that can, you know, generate that right now. Um, but those two guys were the guys, you know, like I said, people have been waiting 10 years for the fight. They were the same weight. you know, Takeiro hadn't lost a match in about 10 years. Tension had never lost a fight in kickboxing. So it was kind of like a volcano that people have been waiting to erupt for a long time um that everyone saw it was there but you know they couldn't get it to explode and uh yeah uh, MMA wise they don't have that now they had some guys on the show especially Yaman is what he's called Yaman he kind of uh I think came out of the show kind of I would say with the biggest momentum of the guys on the undercard but could he be in a fight of that magnitude anytime soon no and I don't think they have anyone mma wise who could who could do it either um you know they got mayweather coming up he's going to fight asakura um, mikuro asakura yeah um, but it, it doesn't have the same interest at all as a tensions uh, fight with takeru um it's going to be hard i mean if japan could build up their mma again maybe they could generate some of that just by creating somebody but uh that's what it'll take
1: Now you're saying MMA specifically because that's where you think the money is, right? The money is clearly
3: not in kickboxing. I mean, it's obvious. Well, they could generate someone in kickboxing too. Don't get me wrong. It could be either one, but uh, those two guys were just head and shoulders above everybody. So they have to generate a couple of guys again, you know, and that's where the challenge is.
2: You know, uh, Todd mentioned a name that is, is interesting. And, Though he's not a heavyweight, he is a guy who's established himself on the world level as a guy who can compete with anybody, and that's Takuya Inoue, the uh, world champion's super bantamweight boxer. Yeah. Now, if him, int- tension's never going to get to that level. If he wants to have his head removed for him, he can fight him. They call the kid the monster. I mentioned Chocolatino Gonzalez way at the beginning of this um. Anyway, coming up was aimed at beating Gonzalez because Gonzalez had made a career for himself fighting in Japan. Um, He actually started out like as at like super flyweight and skipped away uh, because he just, I guess, was cutting too much weight and missed Chocolatito Gonzalez. But you're talking about an elite of the elite, a guy who's already in the pound for pound top five, probably in the world right now. So that match to me, you know, maybe they can create something there because they've got a world level athlete, but, you know, putting Inouye against real world level competition in Japan might be better than, and, and then have the tension. I, I I don't know how that would work because Inouye is a truly elite boxer to put a non a guy who's crossing over to boxing after a career and something else in there is to me a joke athletically. So, you know, but that sometimes it doesn't eliminate the big fight. You know what I mean? Bono Grace, did I mention that before?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean Teddy Atlas, I saw him say that he thinks the is the best fighter currently. So Teddy Atlas is really high on Inui.
1: That's a that's um, a good opinion right there.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, let's see what the future holds,
3: right? Um, and I think that's a
1: good wrapping point, you know, to, to, uh, in terms of talking about all this stuff, you know, the lack of attention, all that stuff. So, it was good to bring you guys in to get some insight because, you know, a lot of people that watch at least this channel are more so into MMA and not so into that event. And I hope it brings some awareness towards the event and people actually go check out the fight. So, I want to thank you guys for joining the show. But uh, before you leave, where could the people find you guys, you know, all the shows, all that good stuff?
2: uh we're at the lights out podcast and lights out clips on youtube is probably the best place you can look up the lights out podcast on spotify rumble uh itunes and all where you know you can download podcasts and uh we do long form interviews with fighters uh you know with a historical spin uh chris lytle mike davis the mma detective and uh myself are the team Todd helps
3: us out with the MMA Conspiracy Hour. Todd's got his own thing going on. I'm going to let him go. Yeah, and it's L-Y-T-E-S, because Chris Lytle, you know, that's how he spells his last name. And, and they do a lot of historical stuff. So if you look at guys from the old school, they these guys have more than anybody. And, uh, you know, the MMA Conspiracy Hour is kind of a spinoff of that, which is something that me and Miguel and Mike do, which I, I really enjoy doing. And uh, they have that on. So they have a lights out podcast, YouTube channel, and then lights out clips is what that's called. And that's where they tend to keep those. And uh, then I have the show, Todd Atkins show that I do primarily on Instagram, you know, and then I'll put it on some of the other platforms, just clips of it and stuff like that. But uh, that's mostly where I do mine. So it's the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore show. And uh, that's where I do it.
1: All right, guys. Thanks again for joining the show and take care.
3: Yeah, appreciate
0: Thank so it. Thank you.